0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville Audio Podcast. The last few weeks we have been in a series called Living Out Your Destiny. The first week we defined the term destiny as God's unique and preferred plan for your life. Sam compared this in his uh, prior week sermons to Star Wars. There are quite a few times. uh, The Skywalker family actually... Are riddled. Every one of them is riddled with moments in their lives where destiny moments happened. And um, they actually had a lot of times where they and us actually have, where we encounter pitfalls. And so we had talked about the last few weeks about different potential pitfalls that we encounter through the story of Joseph and the story of Peter. And so I actually truly believe that our destiny is refined through our responses to these pitfalls. And so we're going to continue this discussion this week on the pitfalls and this idea of deception. So what comes to mind, this is where you guys interact, what comes to mind when you hear the word deception? What are some words that come to mind? Lies? Trickery? Trickery. sabotage. I looked up some words. My favorite out of them all was hoodwinking. So, there you go. So, those are all true, and I don't know about you, but I despise being deceived. Even if it's to protect me from pain, I feel an acute sense of betrayal whenever I am lied to. But what gets my goat even more is when I discover that I am the one doing the deceiving To myself, when I lie to myself about what I'm doing or why I'm doing the thing that I'm doing, um, it just it really frustrates me because you don't really see it until afterwards, right? You don't see it until you've gone past that situation and you're like, "Oh man, that was not good. (laughs) What happened?" And so you see um, one of Given the opportunity, we can lie to ourselves out of the will of God. And I truly believe that the enemy uses every opportunity he can get to feed into our own self-deception so that he can stop us for living out our destiny. Again, that is, he can get, he uses every opportunity that we have to feed into our own self-deception. You see, one of the most dangerous forms of deception is self-deception. Nowhere is that more evident than in the person of Samson. The story of Samson is the most tragic accounts of self-deception in the Bible. So we will be hanging in the book of Judges today as we talk about Samson. So, but first, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Dearly Father, I pray, God, that you will give me the words to speak, that my words won't be my own but yours. I pray as we um, look through the story of Samson that we will find the redeeming qualities in him, God, and what you have for us. I pray that you will open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you and um, just to be changed by your word like you promised in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So Samson's life is summed up into four chapters in the book of Judges. It actually starts in Judges 13. I will give an overview of the book, I mean, I'm sorry, of his story, and then we'll narrow our focus into um, the instances where he deceived himself. So Samson's story starts with his mom and dad who were unable to conceive a child. An angel appears to Samson's mom, who actually doesn't have a name. I didn't realize that until I was reading through the story again. Um, She wasn't, well, she has a name, but she wasn't, her name wasn't given in the Bible. And so um, we just know her as um, Samson's mom. But the angel says to her, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel. From the Philistines. So, one thing I want to narrow in on is this idea of Nazarite. It's kind of a funny word. Um, what it actually means is someone who's literally set apart for God's work. And so, Samson, um, through that, we see that he actually had to, um, he couldn't have his hair ever cut. It was a physical representation of his commitment to God. Um, he actually had to eat certain foods and abstain from others uh, to act- show his commitment to God as well. And so Samson, and then the next thing I want to talk about is that it says in there that he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Very few times in the Bible is a person given their destiny right out, out of the womb like Samson was. He was given this destiny right away. And I'm sure that growing up, he knew he was very important. I'm sure every time he messed up, his parents reminded him that he couldn't afford to make mistakes. Because if he made mistakes, people would die. I'm sure that um, the, the physical representation of his hair being long, that people saw that and knew that he was a Nazarite set apart. And that he had big plans and big shoes to fulfill. And um, I'm sure that that was just crazy amounts of pressure um, for him. I'm sure that it really spoke into the way that he acted later on in his life. And it really changed um, what he did. So his long hair was special in his diet. And all of that reminded him that he was something bigger. Samson then grows up and he learns. um, And we learn many times where he set out to sabotage his own destiny. I can't imagine why he would do that. I mean, I actually can. It's because he bigger shoes than he actually had to fill and he didn't know how to do it. I, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I end up sabotaging my own plan, uh, the plan that God has for me. Um, specifically, I'm really good at putting off projects at work. Um, and the reason is, is because I know I can, um, that if it fails, then I can blame it on the amount of time I spent on it and not on my own shortcomings. And I don't see that until afterwards when I'm looking back and I'm observing myself and like, man, why did I do that? I had plenty of time. What was I doing? Um, But always, I I never want to show up short. I never want to come and people to see me as the human that I am, right? And I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room that's like that. The crazy thing about self-deception is that a lot of times we do not even realize that we are doing it. But despite his, self-sab- his self-sabotage, God used Samson as he would said he would to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Samson, if you recall, was given great strength. He was like a superhero, like real time, which I think is super awesome. Um, and I also want to be a superhero like that, but probably not going to happen. He was... A- <laughs> Um, but God used these for his purposes, um, but as Samson aged, his self-sabotage spiraled to the point where he lost everything at one of the most pivotal moments of his life. This guy was set up for incredible potential, but his own mistakes cost him. His story a- ends with him in chains with no power Blind, they took out his eyes, and desperate to get back at the Philistines for whittling him down to the state he was in. But let's be honest, it was kind of his own fault. With one last-ditch effort, as he was being taunted in front of 3,000 Philistines... He does something incredible. It says in the Bible, in um, Judges chapter 16, it says, Then Samson reached down, reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died, while, then while he lived. Isn't that crazy? His death was like the biggest pivotal moment in his life. That's where it, that's just crazy to me. I just, I, I feel like it's a sad reality that Samson lived in. Is that he made impact, but it wasn't until he died that he really <laughs> did what he was supposed to do. That he really fulfilled his destiny. He had so much potential, but his choices led him to the moment, a powerful moment, but a moment that could have been avoided if he had just leaned into his destiny from the beginning. Studying for this message, I noticed something that I hadn't noticed before. I always thought that that moment of Samson's death was his big comeback, the moment where he asked God for forgiveness for all the crazy stuff he did, for being selfish, for all of it. But in reality, the reason he was asking for it was because he wanted to get back at them for what they did to his eyes. Uh, but as God does in our lives, he also did in his, he uses our brokenness for his will. And he is so creative in that, that he knows that we, that we're going to make mistakes, that we're going to screw up. And he's, and he knows how to fix it along the way. So his will is still accomplished. So let's look at three instances in the story of Samson where he deceived himself. The first one is Samson was deceived by self-interest. In Judges 14.3, it says, His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, she's the right one for me. So Samson was at the age at this point, he'd just grown up, where he was looking for a wife. He was looking for the special someone that, you know, make him happy the rest of his life. Unfortunately, he finds it within the Philistines. This is a little complicated um, for him and for uh, the people that he's supposed to save. Partly because Philistines have a different belief system. They don't believe in Yahweh like we do. They have their own pagan gods that they worship. And many times throughout the Bible, we see over and over again where someone comes in and is married out from outside of um, the Jewish People And when they are married outside, they bring in their religions. And they kind of infect everybody with it. And there's so many times where God had to redirect the people back to him. And so alone, this, he's like, this is seen over and over in the Bible. He's learned this. You don't marry outside of the Israelites. And he did it anyways. The next thing is, the Philistines are the enemy. That's who God wants him to deliver. And he decides to marry somebody. From there, I feel like he's going to have a little bit of a, um, like, conflict that might arise from this that, um, you know, he's not going to be able to do his job as well. And so, but God, of course, is using the situation the same way he does all the time. He's using Samson's brokenness to complete his will. So it says later on that... um, in every it, we we learn that in every instance samson puts his own interests ahead of his others he wanted her because she looked good And so I actually have a financial mentor who would call Samson's response a, um, emotional buy, (laughs) but for, in this case, an emotional decision, he would always tell me that, um, I need to make sure that all my financial decisions aren't based on my emotions because let's be real, cars are so pretty. Right. Um, and you know, the newest iPhone is so beautiful and like, I love like technology. I love getting the newest gadgets and My emotions get up, and I go so excited, and then I buy it, and then it does nothing for me, right? (laughs) Um, And I just have money that I have to pay back if I use a credit card or whatever it is. Um, Or I don't make my budget that month, and that's not good. So um, in that same way, he let his emotions rule what he did. He let his emotions uh, take control. He saw a pretty lady, and he's like, I want her, despite what all of the warning signs say, I'm going to take her for myself. And so we actually um, saw through this uh, something that I I learned in college, actually, that we, in his story, he went against what he knew to be true, um, and we do the same for... Two reasons that this might happen. The first is th- this idea of a social ideal. We want to stick with the social ideal, or we want to do what the cultural norm is. And so, social ideal—if you don't know what that means—is kind of like uh, the society's moral values, which we all know that society's moral values don't always line up with our moral values. And so, if for him, you know, social ideal is he needs a wife, and he needs a now and he's going to do whatever he needs to get it. Cultural norms is um, he needs the wife because it's what everybody else does. It's what's normal. It's what's average. But God doesn't call us to be normal or average. He doesn't call us to follow society's norms. He calls us to follow his norms and um, his morals. And so... Sigmund Freud actually calls a lie, when we're talking about deception, an ego defense mechanism. It's a psychological strategy that protects our ego, our core sense of self, from information that would hurt us. So a lie is an ego defense mechanism. It's crazy to think, and it's so true, because I mean, if you look at your driver's license, how many of you, like, honestly put your height and weight on it, right? Oh, we had got some. Okay, good for you guys. (laughs) Um, So, definitely didn't. Um, And, I mean, and we look at different things, like, why did you get the job you got? Or, um, more personally, why did you marry who you married? Was it because of love or was there other reasons behind it? Um, you know, and did you pick that job because it's what God called you to do, because it's your destiny to be there, or because it pays the bills? And I mean, I'm not saying that our job always leads to our destiny. It might be the place that we're at, the people that we're raising right now. Um, There's so many different opportunities, but sometimes God does call us to fulfill our destiny through our job. And um, so this, but instead what we do is we lie to ourselves because to face the reality that we are broken is too much and too hard. So the self-interest that will bring happiness has the potential to spiral out of control. When we decide to live life on our own terms, we forget what it costs others. So that leads us to our second point, which is Samson was determined to live life on his own terms regardless of what it cost others. After Samson declared to his parents who his future wife would be, he went with them to marry her. While there, I'm not sure if it was out of boredom or what, he poses a riddle to the Philistines to gain more riches for himself. We see the first time here where there's a conflict of interest in having a Philistine wife. The wife convinces him to give her the answer to his riddle so that she could pass it along to the Philistines. When they answer the riddle correctly, the Philistines, Samson throws a fit and kills all of them that answered the riddle. (laughs) It's just, you know, this guy. A while later... (laughs) A while later, uh, not really sure how long, but long enough for the, uh, his wife's husband to figure it out. What he does, he, he kills him, and then he runs away, and he goes back home. And a while later, he comes back. We're not sure how long, but it says that long enough that the, the father married her off to somebody else because he just assumed she didn't love him, or he didn't love her. And so um, when Samson returns to take his wife home, the father offers instead his younger daughter. And here is Samson's response in Judges 15. It says, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. <laughs> this guy, he just wants to like get even. He wants to pass judgment on everybody. But Samson was a man of higher calling than any other deliverer in the book of Judges, but he lived his life doing his own thing. In psychology, there's a term called cognitive distortion, which is the way that our mind convinces us of something that isn't really true. Some examples of this are filtering, kind of like an Instagram filter or Snapchat filter. Um, you put a menso filter up that magnifies the negative and minimizes the positive, Um, And so they're like the negative Nancys or negative Neds in the world who just like everything is horrible, the worst, everybody's going to die and burn, you know. Then you have um, people who are uh, this idea of polarized thinking. And these uh, types of people who have this, there's no middle ground. Either hot or cold, you're either right or wrong, you're either friends or enemies. There's no middle ground. And those ones are really hard too because you can't have a discussion with polarized thinkers because they're just going like, to tell you exactly what you're doing wrong or just agree with you. And So the next one is overgeneralized thinking. And this is when, oh, I'm sorry, overgeneralization. It's when a person comes to a general conclusion based on a single incident or a single piece of evidence. So this is something um, that actually is something that I work through constantly. Um, a few years ago, I was actually in high school. It's my first job. And I worked at a restaurant and I was a, um, hostess. And then I, I was a busser hostess. And I, I like went up the ladder within like three months of me being there. Cause teenagers, like you either have someone that's a really good worker or they're the worst. Right. And so I guess that I was really good. And so I moved up the ladder and they decided to put me as a server and waitress. So they, it's a small little family restaurant. There was no like videos to watch or anything. You just like served with somebody. So I served with this lady for a good week, and it was a lot of fun. I loved it. Um, but I don't know if I learned a lot, because it was a lot of fun, you know? Um, and so then after that, they decided to give me my own week. And so it's was going to start, like, on a Monday, and then it'll end, like, on a Thursday. Thursday rolls around, and they're like, she's really good at this. So they decided to give me another day to serve just to see how I'd do, and it was a Friday night. And... Friday nights, you know, to avoid the restaurants, right? Cause they're always crazy busy. And this little family restaurant, it was also crazy busy. So, and if you've ever been a waitress, you know that the amount of tables I have is ridiculous. I had 12 tables to myself. Uh, yeah. On a Friday night and it was busy. It was crazy busy. I'm running around, you know, the hostess is like taking food out for me and she's getting mad at me and I'm feeling all of this pressure. And, um, at one point, I think I dumped a whole tray of drinks on a family. Like, this just not a good situation. And so the night ends with... Um, I'm, like, getting... It's, like, the peak of my stress level. And this family's there, and they get their food. And they are nice to me all the way up until this point. They get their food. The, the husband um, looks at his food, and he had ordered something. And he had ordered the wrong thing. It was totally his fault, not mine. But he decided to scream at me, 16 year old getting screamed at, like not good. (laughs) So my boss, she did a good thing, probably one of the only things that I appreciated about that boss. A lot of my bosses, I feel like before, you know, I became an adult where they taught me what not to do. Um, But she, she went up to him and she gently asked him to leave, paid for his meal and said, we do not, you do not yell at my, um, my employees like that. And, you know, escorted them out of the restaurant. It was, it was really bad. Like, he was causing a, re- a scene. It was horrible. And so I remember, like, running out of the restaurant. I never cry. And I'm bawling my eyes out, just mortified by what happened. And um, they're all comforting me and stuff. But you know what happened? That broke me. I couldn't serve anymore. That was too much for me to handle. That was just horrible. And so what I did is I you know, the next week served still and they told me everybody covered me. But when you start believing something about yourself, it's really hard for truth to enter in, right? And so I just started believing that I wasn't good enough and I couldn't do it. And so I couldn't. I didn't do it. They actually removed me from the serving schedule because I said I wasn't ready. But what happened was is I just wasn't doing as good of a job because that broke me so much that I no longer could uh, I wanted to sabotage myself so that no one else could do that to me again. And I um, actually, shortly after that, quit and went to college. Um, well, so maybe I wasn't 16, but anyways, um, it was. I was still a teenager. You should you shouldn't scream at a teenager like that. So. <laughs> um, And, you know, that's still something that I struggle with. When I get put into a new role, a new new thing, I think to myself, am I going to fail like I did last time? That was one time, one time where something horrible happened, but it's now defined me. And, um, you know, and it's something that I'm working through that I'm discovering that that shouldn't define me. And since, since I've, like, figured out what that moment was, what moment of trauma really hurt me, I can work through it and that's the thing about self-deception is when we figure out where it's coming from we can work through it so the next one is um, personalization and this is where people just take everything personally the last one that I wanted to talk about is control fallacies and this is where you feel like you don't have control of your life at all and everything that happens to you is because someone is out to get you so it's very similar to personalization but instead what's happening is you are the victim and everybody else is the enemy And my aunt would call all of these um, things stinking (laughs) thinking, you know, um, bad thinking where you're just, you're just letting the lies of the enemy, you're letting the lies you've created control your life. And I really truly believe that Samson was dealing with some of this and that's why he did what he did. And I think that we as well deal with a lot of this. Um, he could have looked at his situation a bit differently, and it would not have cost him his family, his people, or his wife. Later in chapter 15, we learn that he puts a big dent in the Philistines' army out of anger. And in response, they kill his wife, her family, and attack Judah. His thinking, thinking, cost him, and ours has the potential to cost us too. Samson had the power to decide to live according to God's terms, and we do too. So right out of college, I moved to sunny, deathly hot beautiful Arizona to participate in the Central Leadership Institute. They called it CLI for short. There were tons of applicants, but they only chose eight of us. My college friend and I were fortunate enough to go together, so we were roommates throughout the whole experience. But what their goal was for us to experience a safe first year in ministry where we could fail and someone was there to help us pick up the pieces. The thing was, is going in there, I was honored. I was also deathly afraid because it was like the biggest church I'd ever stepped foot into. I was scared that, um, you know, that I wouldn't measure up. And but what happened when I was there is that that our team of eight were all rock stars. They were like the best of the best, cream of the crop. And I was like, why in the world am I here? And um, they we had one girl. She was two years older than me. Who had already like started her own church in Illinois, and it was still thriving. And she decided to come learn more. And I'm like, you learned everything. What else do you need to know? Um, we had another guy who just knew the Bible so well, and he was just he loved to like flaunt it. We had um, one guy who he really um, was really good at being humble. I don't know who's, I don't know that that's a thing you could be good at, but he was great at it. Um, And so I'm like, and to me, I felt like I was always the most competent person in the room when it was a small group of people. And after that, it totally destroyed that. And I realized I wasn't. And that they were way smarter and way better than me than anything, which really hurt my experience there. Um, I had to, I, and so in those moments, I began to recall past far- failures, like the one-time restaurant. And um, it was really hard, and I had to learn how to live in my, in my new context. And I was so unsure of myself. I was so self-pitying, and I was the quietest in the room. And all of my confidence fled, and I detested myself for it. My sinking thinking caused me to miss out on friendships with my cohort to get the most out of my experiences, and the way I let my self interest rule was to protect myself from failure to protect myself from others. I chose to reject myself b- before they had a chance to. It was a way to keep my ego in balance, and they the way this point plays itself out for different uh, for each of us is different for me. My sinking thinking led me to just sabotage myself in the most negative way. It seems like samson 's was to be just overly confident and a little brazen with all of his things Um, but what happens is when we decide to live life on our own terms our stinking thinking no longer has center I'm sorry, we decide to live life on God's terms, our stinking thinking no longer has center stage which leads me to my next point Samson's attraction to pleasure was stronger stronger than his divinely given physical strength that was hard to say Samson finds himself two more times at the mercy of his traction to pleasure. So the first one was that pretty wife, right, that died. Um, The the next one is um, he finds himself with a prostitute. And while he's with her, he gets ambushed by a whole bunch of Philistines. And he has to go, like, fix that situation. The next time is with a woman named Delilah, which we all kind of recognize that name, right? He falls in love with her while she is plotting his demise (laughs) with the Philistines. He falls right into her trickery, which seems like a pretty obvious trickery. If you read the story, you know that she's like, what do you, what's your weakness? And then he like gives her all these like bogus answers. And then the Philistines try it or she tries it and it's just not working out. And he like breaks the binds. He does all the things. So pretty obvious that she's trying something on him. Um, But the thing was, is that his sexual passions, our sexual passions out of control will always cost you. And his did cost him. That's what led him to imprisonment was um, his lack of self-control when it came to this area. He let um, his idea of women take control. He let his idea of what they could bring him just be the center of his life instead of God. And... Last week we talked about this and we talked about um, Joseph and how he ran away from... Um, the Potiphar's wife, right? And he did a really good thing. Samson, not so much. (laughs) He doesn't run. He leans into it. He gets himself into major trouble. And it's just the whole situation. But you see, sinful desire has the power to wreck our destiny if we allow it to control us. It's a lot of small yeses. um, And we all probably know someone that you know this to be the case. It's a lot of small yeses. Um, that lead to the big yes and the big, the big moment. But it's also a lot of no's that lead us to God's will in them. It, uh, it's our job to make sure that we keep God created us to be sexual. He created us for that. But it's our job to keep it in the context of what he intended it to be in. So Samson lost strength the day his hair was cut. And as a result, he lost his life. He was captured after getting his hair cut. They kept him in prison long enough for his hair to grow back, which in turn caused his strength to come back for one last hurrah. Samson's hair is a physical representation of what happens with each and every one of us when we deceive ourselves. He deceives himself to the point of um, losing control in the same way when we deceive ourselves, when we let our sexual... um, Uh, temptations and we let self-interest, we let that all guide us. Uh, We will spiral out and we will lose control. And God wants us to bring us back. He wants us to bring us back to his will, what he has for us, the destiny of our lives, which leads me to two lessons that I think we can glean from Sanson's life. The first one is there will always be a day of reckoning for self-deception. In uh, 1 Corinthians thirteen eighteen, it says, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. And so this verse is essentially telling us that we, self-deception is really devious. It lies to us. We don't know it's, that we're lying to ourselves. We don't know that's happening until it's too late. A lot of times we need to, relearn ourselves. We need to relearn why we do what we do. We need to relearn um, why our responses bring us to where we are. Um, I can think of moments where I've responded in crazy ways. Like my emotions are out of control. I was with my family this past week and I've got eight nieces and nephews and I was with six of them. Oldest is 13 and she was, I don't know, saying something to one of the younger ones, trying to get her to pay attention to something. And all of a sudden I just lost it. I'd been with them for like a couple days and I was like, stop talking. And I screamed at her. And I realized, and I had to apologize to her in that moment because that wasn't because of what she was doing. That was a response to what I'd been, you know, all the emotions that have been pulling me apart with the other little ones. But I responded outraged with her. And in the same way, we do that. We, We respond in crazy ways when it's not that intense, actually, the situation. And so we need to become observers of ourselves. We need to forget what we um, think is true and become a fool so that we might become wise. Um, The thing about self-deception is you don't know what that is happening until afterwards. So in Galatians 6, 7 through 8, it says... Do not be deceived. God can not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. So this idea that what we sow, we will reap. We need to become observers of ourselves and we need to make the decision to confront the lies that we have been believing, the lies we have been telling ourselves because when we start confronting them, we become what God wants for us. And so self confronting is a lifelong journey and we need to continue to do it. I think one of the biggest reasons we're afraid to self-confront is we have to come to the reality of our own sin and our own pain. But most days I have to constantly remind myself going back to Arizona Kate that I shouldn't shame her. Arizona Kate did the best with what she had when she had it. Arizona Kate, um, believe lies like we all do. Arizona Kate is human. North Carolina Kate can't look down on Arizona Kate. Has to remember that she existed and she made me who I am today. In the same way, when we're confronting ourselves, don't shame yourself for what you did. Don't shame yourself for believing the lies of the enemy or believing the lies you told yourself. Instead, know that the story doesn't end um, the way that it ended for Samson for us. You see, God's love and forgiveness is always greater than our shortcomings. Um, Samson's destiny was to save God's people from the hands of the Philistines. He messed up a lot, just as we mess up a lot. But I would like to challenge you and us to make a commitment to fight against self-deception sooner. To decide that we're not gonna let the lies we tell ourselves control us, to not let the lies that um, we, we work through and walk through every day be the reason that we do what we do. But instead, we, we, we say no to self-sabotage and we say yes to Jesus. We say yes to his destiny for our lives. My favorite thing about this story is it kind of runs parallel with Jesus' story. You see, Jesus... He also grew up knowing what he was going to do, just as Samson did. He also grew up knowing that God was going to use him to save a group of people. The difference is, is that Jesus wasn't led by his self-deception. He was led by his love and of God and God's will for his life. And when he died on that cross for our sins, when he, he took the punishment for all those crazy things that we do, he said that we now have the opportunity to do the same. He said, now we have the opportunity to confront the lies with truth. And we know that his word is the truth, the ultimate truth, that when nothing else can pierce through our fog of self-deceit, his Bible can. And so I just, um, as we wrap up the sermon today, I just want you guys to remember that The story didn't end with Samson, it ended with Jesus, and it continues with us. And we have moments, we can have moments where we mess up, but Jesus is there, and he's going to forgive us and lead us um, to the cross and to what he did. So, um... Let's pray. Uh, God, I'm so thankful that you are king. Jesus, I'm so thankful that you, sent your, that you came to die on the cross for the punishment of our sins. I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to confront the lies with your truth the truth of your word, the truth of what you did for Samson and what you do for us. I just pray, God, that you, um, if there's anybody here today who's realizing, oh my gosh, that's me, I've been dealing with that, that you will just speak to them directly, that you will show them your love, that you will show them your peace, God, and that you will be with them completely. I just, I um, pray that you will help us to have a great rest of the day. In Jesus' name we pray.